Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Awerch, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast over the past several weeks, you know that I've referenced a study by LifeWay Research when they asked pastors to talk about the most pressing issues they were facing in ministry today. And as a part of that research uh, project, they identified 17 needs that pastors expressed that at least half the pastors in the survey said were major issues they were dealing with today. So over the past few weeks on the podcast, I've been addressing some of these issues and I'm not addressing all 17 of them because frankly, a number of these I've addressed in the podcast in sometime during uh, 2021. So you can go back and pick up one of those archived if you'd like and listen to the issues uh, from those older podcasts. So I'm not trying to cover all on the all of the 17 that are listed in the research project, but I have covered a number of them and I want to do the last one today. One of the issues that pastors raised as a major issue today is developing relationships with other pastors and with other ministry leaders. Developing meaningful relationships. I want to talk with you about how you do that as a leader and how you build what I call a friendship team that can sustain you in ministry leadership. Now, I've written about this in my book, The Painful Side of Leadership, but once that book came out, I actually added a little bit to that section. And if I were rewriting the book today, I would have a little bit of an extra uh, emphasis in one part of this that I didn't mention in the book. So if you go back and read uh, The Painful Side of Leadership, you'll see some of this, what I'm going to talk about today, but I'm adding, adding some additional stuff that I've been teaching on this subject over the years. So today I want to talk about the importance of developing a friendship team or a support system of friends around you as a ministry leader. I want to talk with you about what that looks like, and then I want to give you some suggestions on how to get that done. I believe that there are four categories of people that ministry leaders need on their friendship team or on their support team of friends that sustain them in ministry. The first group are people that I would call your peers. These are people who do what you do, but typically in a different church or organization than the one where you serve. A peer of a pastor would be another pastor, a worship pastor, another worship pastor, a youth pastor, another youth pastor, seminary president, another seminary president. Uh, If you find someone else in another organization who has your same job or your same functions, that's your ministry peer. That's someone who understands the demands of what you're facing every day, knows some of the challenges that you're dealing with understands the industry and the broader picture of what's going on, and frankly, can help you to maintain a good perspective on what you do because you realize you're not in it alone. For example, I'm a part of a group of uh, seminary presidents of evangelical seminaries in North America, and this is loosely defined as the presidents of schools that typically hold an evangelical uh, position. Schools like Dallas Seminary, Denver Seminary, Uh, Gordon Conwell, schools like that. Well, when the presidents get together, we talk about the challenges we're facing personally and professionally. And what always strikes me is that we all are facing the almost exact same problems, same things. So my ministry peers 
become a great resource for me, a great asset base for me, because they give me perspective that what I'm facing is not all that unique. And they also give me hope in knowing that I'm not, uh, the, just because I'm facing difficulties or things are going wrong doesn't mean I'm the only one. So ministry peers are an important part of your friendship team because they give you this kind of perspective and hope and confidence going forward. Now, another group of people to draw from are what I call ministry colleagues. These are people that you work with in the role that you've been assigned. Now, I realize that some of you are in single staff position churches, and you may not have any true ministry colleagues, meaning other pastors or other uh, worship pastors or other staff people that you can depend on. I understand that. Some of you will find that some of your colleagues may actually be other lay leaders in your church who serve as elders or deacons or in roles like that, and you may find them substituting in this ministry colleague role. Some of you also uh, may not have anyone in this category that you can really turn to or draw on right now as a part of your friendship team or this friendship base of support that you need in ministry leadership. If you don't, that's okay. That's why we're building a friendship team, because you may not have all four of these different components that I'm going to describe today on the podcast working all the time, but at different seasons and times of life, different ones of these groups might be more important or more influential or more significant for you. So it's okay if you don't have a lot of colleagues to draw from, but if you do have some colleagues, meaning some other people who work with you in your ministry setting that really are supportive of you and are the kind of uh, relationships that are more than just work relationships but become personal relationships, you will be much blessed. You know, I'm very fortunate to have that here at the seminary. I actually have uh, a group of vice presidents that I work very closely with. And while I'm certainly their supervisor, and we never forget that, of course, and I'm certainly their employer, and we never forget that, of course, we've been able to rise above those relationships and also establish a personal connection that really does fuel me and gives me strength and energy and resource for the work that I do. Uh, these guys really are part of my friendship team, and I hope I'm a part of theirs so that I draw strength from them and, and, and encouragement from them and insight from them and confidence from them. And, and, and I'm, I'm more enthused about the work I do because I get it to do it with them than by myself. So peers, colleagues, third. A third category of people to draw from are mentors or sponsors. A mentor is someone that you look up to, someone that you go to when you need counsel or guidance. Someone who's been down the road maybe a step or two ahead of you and that you can turn to in a trustworthy way, they're a confidant for you, someone that you can find a safe harbor to unburden yourself. They aren't your peer. In other words, they're not really doing what you do on a day-to-day basis. They're certainly not your colleague because they're not working with you and going through the grind of it all. But they're a person who may have someday been a peer or someday in the past been a colleague, someone who's done what you've done, who's been where you are, and now moved on into another phase of life, and you look to them as a mentor or a sponsor, a guide. Man, I've been blessed by men like this in my life. I go back to uh, even when I was in college, being able to look up to mentors that were pastors or other ministry leaders and learn from them, get their guidance, gain their understanding, have a sense of 
of, of peace and rest when I went and talked with them and a sense of confidence that I could unburden myself and know that they would listen and guide and help. Oh, man, that was so valuable. And then when I moved on into pastoral ministry and then into denominational leadership, I was still blessed to have these kind of men. I think of some that I could name. Uh, Cecil Sims in the Pacific Northwest, Bill Cruz here at Gateway Seminary, uh, other men like Bill Peters along the way who helped me. And then going back even beyond that, people like Burtis Williams and T.C. Melton and even someone uh, that's been uh, in latter years more of a peer, and that's Jim Hardwick who mentored me when I was very young in ministry. These are just good men who've come into my life at different times and been a mentor or a guide for me. Now, here's the hard reality for me, and that is most of the men I've just mentioned have moved on to heaven, and a few of them are still with us, but they've reached a place in life where I really don't want to burden them anymore. Uh, they've, they've served. They've served faithfully, and frankly, they're older and just don't need the pressure of me coming to them with the kind of burdens I might lay on them, and so I'm a little reluctant to do that like I once was. All I'm simply saying is that I've moved from being someone who had mentors to now, I think, being the mentor for others. And while I have a couple of relationships that I would call a little more formal in this context of being a mentor to others, I find myself in more of a mentoring role with a lot of people who just call on me from time to time to help them troubleshoot or solve or deal with the difficulty they're having in the moment. But another person to have on your friendship team to surround yourself with for a supportive kind of role is a mentor or guide. So we have peers and colleagues and mentors. And then finally, and this one may surprise you, but I hope as a ministry leader you have what I call an everyday friend. An everyday friend. Someone who you can be with that isn't your ministry peer, that isn't your ministry colleague, and isn't your leadership mentor. Someone just to be with as a friend. I am most blessed that I've had a few of these in my lifetime. I think about one particular friend. Been my friend a long, long time. He's a very passionate Christian. He has a deep and abiding commitment to and love for Gateway Seminary. Uh, he's been with me in a number of ministry contexts. But here's the most beautiful thing about our relationship. When he and I go out on vacation together or we go out on some uh, trip together or we just get together to watch a ball game, whatever it might be, we can go a day or even a week and the word seminary will never come out of his mouth. He knows he's my friend. And so he doesn't ask me, how's your work? <laughs> He loves the seminary, but he doesn't ask me, how's the school doing? No, he saves those conversations for some other venues, other settings. And he somehow has an intuitive sense that when we're together friend to friend, that we need to talk and laugh and enjoy other aspects of our lives. And so we try to stay away from things like work <laughs> in our conversations, an everyday friend. Now, what I've learned over the years is that developing these kind of friendships gives me balance, gives me a sense of, re of peace, gives me greater confidence, gives me a sense of release, and helps me 
to be more well-rounded, more balanced, and frankly, just to simply be a better leader. So I want to challenge you to develop a friendship team, a collection of people around you. They may not be formally named. You may not get them matching T-shirts or anything like that. But you know in your mind who they are, and you know you've got a peer or two that you can call on, a colleague or two that's really trustworthy, a mentor or two that you can turn to when you need them, and an everyday friend or two that you can share life with and help keep your focus on other things besides your work. Form this kind of friendship team around you, and you will find yourself strengthened in ministry leadership. Now... The LifeWay Research Project said uh, that 64% of pastors didn't feel like they had this kind of team. So how do you get from where you may be, where you don't have this kind of circle of friends around you, to the place where you feel better about having some or all of these people in place? Well, let me give you four suggestions. Number one, go to meetings with other pastors or other ministry leaders. You say, I don't have time for that. Well, then you're not going to ever have any friends because that's the place you're going to meet people that build out the kind of relationships that I'm describing. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. I recently spoke at an association of Baptist pastors, and their association has a pastor's luncheon every Monday. Every Monday, 1130, they gather for lunch. They serve a pretty basic but nice meal. And then at noon, they usually have someone sing or make some announcements or do something, and then they'll have a short speaker. And then they'll have prayer requests, and they're out the door by 1 o'clock. An hour and a half of eating and singing and praying and maybe a little bit of a message to encourage them and an hour and a half of relationship building around tables and building the connectivity that leads to the kind of relationships I'm describing. This is where you can connect with ministry peers and where you can meet people who can become your ministry mentors. This is where you can take a ministry colleague and actually have an opportunity in an inexpensive way to share a meal and to experience worship, and to reflect a bit on life as it's happening to you together. That's just one example. Here's another example. Um, One of our state conventions in the West has a meeting every year for pastors uh, and ministry leaders and their spouses where they pay for them to go away for two nights and three days. They have basic programming. They have some worship time together and meals together and some seminar time that's optional but they mainly encourage people to get together and spend time first with their spouse and then secondarily with other couples in ministry leadership to establish these kind of peer and colleague and mentoring relationships that I'm describing. I never have understood why when you're given what is almost a free, two free nights, three free days, time away, that every pastor in America wouldn't sign up for this if their denomination offered it to them. And yet, I can tell you from having worked as a state executive that hosted this kind of meeting, 
a number of pastors were like, no, it's not really for me. It takes too much time. I don't really want to be a part of that. Why not? If you value relationship building, that kind of opportunity is invaluable to finding the relationships that you need. Here, here's another suggestion. I, I'm a member. I, I, I'm aware of another denominational group here in the West that formed something called leadership clusters. What they did was they took the leaders in their region and they put them in some clusters by affinity. They looked at the size of the churches. They looked at the styles of the ministries. They looked at the uh, ages, perhaps, of the pastors or the other leaders. And they put people in groups of about five, maybe six, and said, you're going to be a leadership cluster. And we want you to meet once a month and do these things together. And in doing that, you're going to facilitate the kind of relationships that will be needed to strengthen you in the work that you're doing. And since these were affinity-based clusters, not geographical, not so much strictly age or by race or culture, they were affinity, meaning the kind of ministry you were leading, the kind of church you were pastoring, the kind of function that you were doing. By affinity, people were willing to come together and talk about the special issues that they might be facing in ministry leadership. And then I'll give you one more example. Uh, and this is one I've just been leading over the past year and a half. Through our Doctor of Ministry program here at Gateway, um, I've been leading uh, every three weeks a 90-minute uh, leadership reflection group and discussion of various issues that we surface in, as a part of that group. And we've been doing it entirely by Zoom, which means that uh, nine of us log in together uh, every three weeks for 90 minutes and we work through a process by which we uh, share, learn, grow, and develop, not only around material, but also the relationships that come from that kind of gathering. So all I'm saying is that there are a number of different ways to, quote, go to the meeting. You can go to luncheons, you can go to retreats, you can go to cluster group meetings, you can even join a group meets by Zoom. But by some means, you got to go to the meeting. You've got to get with other leaders so that you can start developing these relationships with peers and colleagues and mentors. You got to be around these people if you're going to develop that kind of connectivity. So go to the meetings. Second, stop competing with other pastors and other leaders. Now, this is a hard thing to address, but quite frankly, one of the reasons that some people don't have more friends in ministry leadership is because they see other ministry leaders as their competitors, that they somehow have to keep their guard up, lest those people find out something about their church or about their ministry or about themselves that would either be uh, difficult or would be hard or might reveal some kind of secret about the way we're doing things that might lead to them being more effective than us. Listen, this kind of competitive nonsense has got to go. If you're going to really develop relationships with other leaders, you've got to lower your guard and recognize that you're going to take some risk here to share your story, maybe your successes, your struggles, share how your family is dealing with certain challenges or difficulties or problems. You know, it's hard sometimes to even admit this, but Christian leaders can be competitive with each other and resistant 
to letting other people inside their circle, so to speak, because of what they fear might happen if they're just a little bit too vulnerable. Now, let me bring some balance to this. I'm not asking you to tell everything that's, uh, p- that's uh, a proprietary information about your ministry organization. I'm not asking you to reveal anything that would be inappropriate for other people to know about your ministry context or about any of the people you're working with. I'm certainly not asking you to expose anything about your family or your spouse or, or anything like that. I'm not asking you to be inappropriately transparent. I'm asking you to be appropriately transparent with your life, your ministry, and your work so that you can begin to establish some connectivity with others. So stop competing with other ministry leaders. Lower your guard. Demonstrate some vulnerability. And understand that there's so much more to be gained than lost by doing this. All right, number three. I want you to guard who you invest time with to make sure that the people you're investing time in ministry are actually energizing you for your work. Now, I'm drawing this idea from an old book. Man, this book is so old. I'm embarrassed to admit how old I'm becoming. I'm quoting a book called Restoring Your Spiritual Passion by Gordon MacDonald. This book was written in 1986. And when I was thinking about this podcast, my mind went back to this book and to the impact it had on me. Gosh, now what, 35 years ago, something like that? Restoring Your Spiritual Passion by Gordon MacDonald. And in this book, he talks a lot about the kinds of things I'm talking about on the podcast today, particularly about developing meaningful relationships. And he categorizes people in the book and talks about how different kinds of people have, a, have an impact on our emotional capacity to do ministry. And he particularly highlights how certain kinds of people energize us. And he doesn't use the phrase friendship team or describe it exactly the way I do. But he talks about some different categories of people that do energize us, make us more engaged in ministry, fill us with energy for getting the work done, that kind of thing. And then he talks about two kinds of people. And he says, be very careful that you don't let these people dominate your schedule because if you do, they will limit your capacity for ministry leadership by draining you of emotional and, uh, and relational energy that you need for the task. So while I've talked about these four kinds of people, peers, colleagues, mentors, and everyday friends, as being people who energize you, who support you, who lift you up emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, and give you the kind of energy you need, especially the relational energy you need to do ministry, McDonald says there's a couple of kinds of people you need to be on guard for, and the first one will surprise you. The first one are the people he calls the very nice people are the VNPs, the very nice people. The very nice people are just what they sound like, really, really nice people. They like you. They like being around you. They are harmless, and they're also not helpful. 
they want to spend time with you, but they really don't own your mission and want to sacrifice to see it accomplished. They like being around you, but they're really not interested in doing much more than just sharing your presence and being in warm fellowship. The very nice people. They don't make waves. They're not hard to be around. They're very likable. And if you're not careful, especially in a church or a ministry context, they can fill up all your time because, frankly, being around them is like being in a warm bath. It just feels so nice. No conflict. No difficulty. Just sweet people. And while all of us enjoy that kind of relaxed environment, the very nice people are not going to take leadership of projects They're not going to sacrifice themselves to advance the mission. They aren't going to put their shoulder to the plow and make a difference with you. No, they're just nice people that just like soaking up your time and being nice to you, being nice around you, being in a nice environment with you. McDonald warns, be careful of the very nice people and don't mistake them for true friends like I've been describing for this friendship team, who energize you, who work with you, who share the load with you, who understand what you're going through, and who relate to you in a way that energizes you for your mission. Beware the very nice people. Then he also says, beware of what he calls the very draining people, or the VDPs, the very draining people. And this was so helpful to me as a young leader when I read this book so many years ago because McDonald says the very draining people come into your life and will take all the time you will give them and they will suck the spiritual and relational life out of you and leave you empty like a carcass tossed to the side of the road. Now, the very draining people, they don't mean to do this to you. They're hurting people. They're needy people. They're people who only know how to take, not to give. They're the ones who need counseling over and over and over again. Just give you one example and how this worked out for me. When I was a young pastor, I had a couple in my church that had a very tumultuous marriage. And when I say tumultuous, I mean yelling, screaming, physical violence, all kinds of things. And they would call me regularly in crisis. Oh, pastor, can you come? We've got to see you. We need you right now. It's horrible. And I would always go. And this pattern repeated itself several times until finally one night they called and said they were having a particularly intense fight. And could I come immediately? Well, this time I decided to take someone with me. So I I took one of our deacons and we showed up at their house And when I knocked on the door and told them who I was, one of them yelled at me to go ahead and come in, and I opened their door slowly. And when I did, laying on the the foyer was a shattered potted plant with the dirt and the, the shattered pot there and the flowers there. And I realized that one of them had thrown a plant, a potted plant, at the other one, and it had shattered against the door and was all over the foyer. When I came in, they started their screaming at me and at each other, and then they saw the deacon come in behind me, and their entire demeanor shifted. 
And I realized in that moment that in the way I had never understood until right then that I was somehow enabling their behavior and that by my continually coming every time they had one of these fights, I wasn't contributing to their solution. I was, in fact, in some weird way that I still don't understand, facilitating the continuation of this behavior and left me completely drained every time I left them. But somehow it was energizing them to stay with it for another few days until the next big blow up happened. I learned these were very draining people. That didn't mean that I didn't want to minister to them going forward. I did want to minister to them, but it meant that I had redefined what that ministry looked like so that they got real help rather than just drained me dry on a regular basis to sustain through some kind of weird codependency this kind of dysfunction they were demonstrating and leaving me dry and empty every time. Beware the very draining people. Now, finally, one last thing. Developing these kind of relationships, you're probably wondering, what about my spouse? Hey, listen, I am all for you having a dynamic relationship with your spouse. And I want your spouse to be your best friend, close confidant, wonderful colleague, a peer that you share ministry with. But let me just give you this one word of caution. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. It is asking too much of your spouse to be your entire emotional and relational support system. Your spouse should be your primary emotional and uh, relational support. I understand that. My wife Ann certainly is for me. But I'm a healthier leader and we have a healthier marriage because the both of us have ministry peers, ministry colleagues, ministry mentors, and some everyday friends that we share life with that helps to energize us for the work that we do. I'm challenging you today to invest some time in building these kind of relationships so that you might have the friendship team you need around you to sustain you relationally, emotionally, and yes, even spiritually for the work we're doing as we try to accomplish the purposes and the tasks God has given us. We know that developing these kind of relationships is challenging, may take a while, but it's worth it as you lead on.